Who's tired of bad news? Don't you just want something that makes you smile, laugh, or feel good? Whether you start your day with this podcast or listen when you need a mood boost, your daily chocolate is a quick, calorie-free way to feel good. In less than 15 minutes, you'll hear funny stories, clean jokes, and interviews with inspirational people. Your host, Patty Deutsch, is bound and determined to counterbalance all the negativity that's out there today. Just give yourself a moment to indulge in these bite-sized stories. It'll be good for you. You know, I love a good immigrant success story. And my guest today, Dr. Katrina Wynn, was just 14 months old when her family escaped by boat from communist Vietnam. She nearly died twice during her journey to freedom in America. Now, Dr. Nguyen is an award-winning, board-certified pediatric gastroenterologist. She also founded a nonprofit to fight childhood obesity, and she's the author of one book called Live to Give and has two others already in the works. I don't know how she does it, but I think you'll enjoy our conversation. She's humble, she's a giver, she's talented. She'll certainly inspire you. Katrina, thank you so much for joining me on your Daily Chocolate. Great to have you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. You have a very interesting background, uh, you know, something a lot of people probably read about but never experience. And your family came over from Vietnam. I think you were, what, 14 months old or so? Yes, I was. Yes. Escaped on a fishing boat, you know, almost died a couple of times. I, I know you probably don't remember you were so young, but uh, can you tell us sort of about that experience and what your family went through? Yes. Um, when I was writing my my first book um, called Live to Give, I shared in the introduction of the book, um, after researching my story, I talked to my oldest brother, who was a teenager at the time. Mm. And so my dad was uh, in the fishing industry. He had a uh, fishing boats in Vietnam, and he had people working for him. So in April 1975, after the fall of Saigon, we knew that in the village where my family was living, the communists were coming, and there was artillery and bomb, and there was just no chance of survival if we stayed there. So my dad, out of faith that God had a better plan for our family, took uh, us on his fishing boat. Uh, at the time, I was the eighth child, the youngest Wow. And move, moved um, us to a different location. And then after that, uh, once the communists invaded the new location, uh, we knew that we just had to take a chance and go out to sea. So that's what he did. And he was just hoping that merchant ships, humanitarian ships would rescue us. Um, so during the first transfer, we went from his fishing boat to a floating barge and then after that, got transferred to a humanitarian merchant ship that brought us to the Philippines. Okay. And then from there, we were flown to Guam um, through Anderson Air Force Base in a Rote refugee camp. So that's kind of the story. But I nearly died once during the transfer um, to the merchant ship, almost fell into the ocean. Oh, gosh. Because they couldn't catch me. And then somebody grabbed my leg and I made it onto the oh. to the ship. And the second time I nearly died was in getting sick in the refugee camp and I had to have emergency surgery. And to this day, I have no idea what kind of surgery I had. All I know is a doctor saved my life in the refugee camp. You don't know what, what happened to you? 
for the surgery. No, yeah. um, I've done research um, for my book. I've contacted the Department of Defense and National Archives and nobody could find the records because I wasn't, my family wasn't in the U.S. military. Yeah. Uh, I was a refugee. So back then, in terms of records, it's too far, yeah. you know, too long you, ago. Do you have a scar somewhere that you don't know? Um, no, I mean, not no. anywhere I can oh. find, except in my on my head, They, my parents point out an area where I don't, you know, I have a patchy area of baldness. Yeah. And um, so they said that I had an incision there. So they, oh or what gosh. they recall, you know, not speaking the language at the time, that it was some kind of infection involving like head and neck. But in terms of specifically what was done, no, yeah. I don't have that information. No. So you ended up in the Philippines and did you, you obviously eventually made your way to mainland? To Guam. To Guam. Yeah. So yeah. we were, we were brought by ship to the Philippines and then flown to Guam. And then when did you come to mainland U.S.? So um, my little sister was born in July of 76 in Guam. And I would say probably two or three months after that, um, from what I recall from my brother's story, we were uh, sponsored by Catholic Charities to uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, yeah. uh, where there's a lot of um, Vietnamese refugees in a Catholic community there. And then my little brother was born in New Orleans in uh, March of 1978. But uh, yeah, we were, we, I mean, I learned English and Vietnamese at the same time uh, through religious studies and then during the daytime at the American school. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and so now you're a pediatric gastroenterologist, which is hard to say. <laughs> you're probably the one of the few people who can say that. <laughs> Ooh, all right. One thing I've done right today. Um <laughs> was it a dream of yours to to be a doctor or did your uh, parent, I mean, obviously your parents had huge dreams for all of their kids, um, you know, mm -hmm. here in the U.S. So how did that come about? So actually my, my parents, neither of them had formal education and even my mom uh, never learned how to read or write in her own language. Really? Um, so, mm -hmm. so basically when we came here, they just wanted us to focus on getting an education because they didn't have one. Despite the fact that lots of times when you're refugees, you're trying to rebuild your life and build wealth. So oftentimes children are often encouraged to you know, take on jobs and really the focus of education wasn't a priority in most refugee families. But my parents, on the other hand, took odd jobs and only when we were teenagers, they allowed us to work during the summer. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, um, they, they said, you know, go as far as you can. Uh, there's also challenges, you know, with that as a Vietnamese woman, you know, how far do you go? Because there's also concerns about, are you going to get married and have children? Right. Uh, as far as a dream of being a doctor, um, I my love for science started in junior high. Okay. But I always... It wasn't until college when I worked in a research lab with an MD, PhD, who I saw, wow, you know, I really want to do that. I want to help children. I want to do research, do science. And probably my third year of college is when I actually saw myself interested in medicine and volunteering in hospitals to learn more. Okay. You talked about, you know, in, in middle school, loving science. And, and that's one thing that society is really trying to put a, a focus on right now is girls in STEM, right? Mm -hmm. Science, technology, engineering, and math. 
So was there a teacher or somebody who kind of inspired you or made you think science is cool or boy, I can do this? Um, I would say that there's earth science and uh, physical science teachers in eighth grade that, you know, just experiments uh, that they would show. And, and then I remember applying for like a weekend immersion experience in science uh. and uh, just seeing kind of hands-on things that were happening yeah. with uh, all those fields. So I believe it was like every Saturday for like six or eight weeks. And, and you know, that's where my, my interest and yeah. you know, inspiration for science uh, continued um, into high school. But, you know, until I volunteered in the hospitals and seeing what doctors and nurses do in college, like in the emergency room and the neonatal ICU, those were the times that I really got locked into saying yes to medicine. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So now you've got a passion for childhood obesity. Tell me about that and tell us about your Faithful to Fitness charity. Yes, Faithful to Fitness was formed November 6th of 2014. Thanks. And it's a nonprofit focused on helping to reverse the childhood obesity epidemic in America, uh, starting here in the Rockford, Loves Park, Illinois area. Uh, what we do is we offer free fitness, nutrition education, and meal prep classes, grocery store tours, farm visits, basically allowing families and children to overcome barriers of knowledge and motivation opportunities just to develop healthier lifestyles. And I actually had an interest in childhood obesity intervention since like 2011, 2012, when I uh, got out of fellowship and started my first job in Georgia. Uh, what I found is the routine of seeing patients for childhood obesity-related health problems every three to six months, weighing them in the office, counseling, doing blood work, it just didn't work. Yeah. We had to take it into the community and finding partners who are passionate about helping children and their families overcome challenges to developing healthier lifestyles. And so when I came here in Illinois in 2013, I said, if I can do it in Georgia and start my first program there, I can do it here because the American Academy of Pediatrics gave me a grant with my resident at the time. And when you get that kind of grant called the catch grant, it means that Whatever idea you have or the model you're developing can be replicated anywhere in uh -huh. any city. It's not specific to that city or that hospital. Okay. So do you have plans to replicate this in other places as well? Yes, that is my next step um, since we've been around for seven, eight years. Um, I also do a 5K every August and it, we've done seven of those. So my hope is to be able to, to use the blueprint I've created with Faithful to Fitness and allow it to be licensed in other cities or states. Um, so if anyone's interested, I can help them create the same thing we're doing with Faithful to Fitness in a chapter in their city and their community. Terrific. I'll, I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes so people know how to contact you. So I imagine that, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into childhood obesity, right? There's access to fresh fruits being in, I think they call it a produce island or something where you don't have that. Um, there's knowledge about what is actually healthy. There's, you know, exercise and all that sort of thing. But you don't really see, uh, I think, the childhood obesity that we have here in the States in other countries, right? I mean, especially Asia, you know, mm -hmm. you, and, and it's hard to understand because they eat a lot of rice, which you think is probably, you know, not the best for you. But how do you explain the differences and, um, and you know, what lessons can we learn from others? I think... Um 
you know, when I think about this, and I've been asked this question quite a bit, is that in other countries, number one is there's less um, motorized dependency on motorized transportation. Uh-huh. So people do walk more, biking, you know, even for short distances, a lot of manual labor and the whole family's involved in that. Um, they do grow vegetables and uh, take care of, you know, kind of farmland or fruits, vegetables a lot more. The other thing that I see is that families sit down and eat together. In the, in the, you know, especially in Asian the community, there's an emphasis in that. We also don't eat with the TV on or, you know, in other countries. There's just less technology involved and uh, there's more attention to talking and spending time together. Yeah. Processed food. I think that there's just less processed food uh, before, you know, marketing and commercialization in these other countries. So there's more of that happening now compared to, you know, previous uh, years, years ago. Yeah, I like the point about sitting down and eating together as a family. I think a lot of times when, you know, kids come home and they sit in front of the TV and they have their frozen dinner, it's kind of mindless eating, right? You don't Mm -hmm. even, you're done and you don't even realize you ate the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think for children, though, here there's... um, a lot of advertising, you know, for processed food and sugary mm. beverages, which, you know, there's not less of that in the other countries. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So you've got a goal to inspire people to find joy through generosity. Uh, and you already talked about your your book, Live to Give. Um, tell us more about that. I think that when we think of generosity, a lot of people think about, I, I can't be generous because I'm not rich. Yeah. But if we think about being generous with time and talent, because every all of us have the same amount of time every day, and each of us has our talents that we need to spend time to discover and discern how we can use that. Uh, Any time that you give back to your community, to your neighbors, to people, that's where you find joy. And that's yeah. how I've found in the last 20 years of medicine. Uh, it's one thing to find fleeting moments of happiness, of focusing on yourself. But when you focus on other people, uh, you're more grateful and that's yes. where you find joy. So I encourage that and I teach people that don't wait till you're rich because yeah. most of us aren't going to be millionaires and billionaires, but we can find joy through using our time and our talent uh, well. Completely agree. I know I, I do a lot of volunteer work and I always almost feel guilty because when I volunteer, I end up feeling much better than I think I probably made them feel, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, you're helping an organization or you're helping people, but I come home feeling enriched. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we all should experience that throughout the year, trying yeah. to give back and experiencing joy because of giving back. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a pediatric gastroenterologist. You help kids fight obesity. You're encouraging people to be generous. What don't you do? <laughs> you know, every every day I'm discovering new ways I, I can do more things. Yeah. And so what, you know, is, what is next for you then? I mean, I've written um, one book and I that's my journey of being an author. And I'm working on a couple more books for uh, 2023 with the co-authoring with other women and teaching people that they can also achieve what I achieve if they put their mind and heart uh, to sharing the message and their story. Yeah. Um, and empowerment of women because your story matters and your story will help other people. 
Um, so I'm excited about being able to do two co-authored projects with two different publishers that will come out in 2023. Okay. I also am working with Hilton Publishing Company, which published my first book on a, a children's book. Um, yeah. That will our plan is to release that in 2024, and it will deal with uh, teaching people how to cope with loss because I've experienced loss of my pet. Um, actually, today is the first anniversary of losing Whoa. my first dog. Whoa. And um, and also, I have lost both my parents, uh, most recently my mom in 2021. So through my story, my experience, and my faith, um, teaching people how to do that and that there are people uh, around us and our experiences that have helped us cope with grief that we can teach other people to do the same. So that's my author journey. And it's always been a dream of mine for 10 years to become an author. And I did that in 20, December 2020. Uh, I also do speaking. And uh, this past year, I've been working on virtual events and live events and also podcasting. So uh, using my, my ability and my talents as a doctor, where I'm interviewing patients and mm -hmm. learning about them and having conversations and translating that into writing and speaking. So that's what I'm doing right now. You are one busy woman. I love it. <laughs> Just being creative with the talents that God has given me. So. Yeah. Well, wonderful. You mentioned all these things that you're doing, and I know you've got a brand new website. It's mdkatrina.com, right? That's correct. And yes. We'll, we'll, you can learn all about all the things I do by going to that website. Your books, your speaking engagements, your faithful to fitness, all of that's on there. Yes. Okay. And you can also... Learn about my, uh, my work with my Catholic doctor, uh, telemedicine. So okay. people can also go there and send me a message learning about pediatric gastroenterology and how I can help their children schedule an appointment. And so that's what that's what I do as well. Fantastic. Well, wonderful. Katrina, thank you so much. Um, before we end, uh, I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Yes. You're ready. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> what, what is your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Yeah, really? <laughs> if you ask me if I can eat something and not be tired, that would be the one food that I have to find self-control. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're a woman after my own heart. Okay. You are so busy, but what do you do in your spare time? If you I have actually any. enjoy gardening. Uh, I've been doing uh, raised bed gardening since 2016. So vegetable gardening. And uh, learning more about flowers as well. Okay. What makes you laugh out loud? Hmm. I would say my husband. <laughs> He's funny. He likes to, yeah, he likes to tell jokes and it's just kind of a dry humor. And I've learned over 16 and a half years <laughs> how to laugh at his jokes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Halloween is coming up. And being somebody who has a focus on obesity, what do you hand out at your house? So I actually, uh, I was talking to my dietitian, and so she gave me a tip of handing out cocoa packets. Cocoa <laughs> and so packets. So that's cocoa packets. And so it's still kind of a sweet tooth, but not, you know, tons of candy. The other thing I've done in the past is um, buying little bubbles, little bubble wands, oh, bubble bottles. Yeah. Uh, so I've done that before and stickers. So I create like little, um, you know, gift bags and tie it up and give it away. The one year I dressed up as, for work, as um, 
Willy Wonka. Uh-huh. And I created those little bags and passed it around to children in the hospital who couldn't go trick-or-treating. Oh, so. I love it. <laughs> Wonderful. And because this is called your daily chocolate, what is your favorite kind of chocolate? My favorite has always been growing up in California is the C's candies. <laughs> so Mary C's. Yep. Any, yep. any particular kind? Milk, dark, coconut? Uh, I caramel. actually like any kind of any chocolate that has nuts, nuts. in it. Oh, with nuts. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> well, keep up the great work, Katrina. It's been a real joy to have you on here. You're such an inspiration in all that you're doing. Thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity to share my work and my story. You're welcome. I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody that's that driven, that busy, that successful, I feel like I can't do that. I may as well just sit on the couch and watch TV. But no, I'm going to go eat a vegetable or take a walk or do something that is good for me or even volunteer. That's good for other people, too. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, by all means, share it. Give me a review. And as always, tune in next week. You're in for a treat. It's Halloween, and I have got award-winning mystery writer Joe LaValle. I think you'll enjoy that as well. So come on back. Have a great week.